Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. On this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast, we are delighted to be speaking to Sarah Farden of Willis Towers Watson's Network. Sarah is the Managing Director of the network and has recently celebrated her 20-year anniversary at the company, which coincides with the 20-year anniversary of the network itself. Sarah has been instrumental in the growth of Willis Network and the business family they have developed through support and sharing between members. Sarah's experience in the insurance industry is vast and we're delighted to be speaking to her today. Sarah, without the H. Absolutely, yes. (laughs) Sarah, I'm very glad to have you on. I'm also Sarah, but with an H. Okay. It gets very confusing. Um, So, yes, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us on the Insurance Broker Podcast. Again, your background is really unique in terms of the people that I've interviewed so far. Okay. um, From a network perspective. So, I think what you will be able to offer the listeners is quite unique in terms of advice and thoughts on future of the market, ways to grow and understanding the challenges that particularly small brokers face. So with that in mind, tell me a bit about you, about Willis Network and how you got into it. Okay, I've been at uh, Willis Towers Watson for 20 years and um, the network that I've been involved with for a, a good part of my career actually also celebrated 20 years last year. So we've had a joint milestone, the business and, and me personally. I was working before that with uh, two different insurers, but I've been at Willis involved in the network in different forms, but running the network for about the last um, seven years actually. So quite a while in that respect but uh, it's really really enjoyable. And what over the last seven years what have been your kind of key points that you've brought to the network or or things that you're particularly proud of? I'm particularly proud of the fact that um, the network business it's a very personal business in lots of ways and so we promote the concept of business family which in lots of ways I sometimes think sounds a bit trite but actually when you see the network together you realise that over the years many network brokers from across the whole of the United Kingdom have built really strong relationships with their peers and that becomes very useful when you're running a small business to tie in with other business owners who are experiencing the same sort of uh, business challenges as you and I feel there's a real open sharing community across the network and you can see that when you go to our events that many people know each other very well indeed and have built up good strong business relationships but also very good strong personal relationships. That's um, interesting and brilliant. Question I have around it is and it's just because of a comment that was made to me a couple of weeks ago about an idea that we're working on. How open can people be when they are competitors? Well, that's a, that's a, it's a good question. So in the main, where our network members are placed throughout the UK is they're geographically pretty well spread. The market is big enough for, you know, everybody and there's lots of business out there. And whilst a client obviously can go wherever a client wants to go, it's probably fair to say that our network members aren't 
coming across each other day in, day out, and the strength and benefit of being able to talk to like-minded brokers probably absolutely outweighs the factors, you know, should we go competing against each other in that particular market segment? That's interesting. The particular idea that I was thinking about is something we spoke about earlier, was um, this idea of a mentorship mastermind purely focused on small brokers. So a monthly meet where you all kind of air your dirty laundry and support each other. And the comment that was made to me was entirely valid and and a good thinking point. And it was about that only works when you are prepared to air your dirty laundry and and how will that be? Do you have any thoughts on that? I think actually in in the um, network there'll be certain brokers who already do share a lot of information between themselves in terms of the experience of running a business or helping other, maybe you know you've got somebody who's started up a business and they've grown that and then you know maybe I bring somebody into the network who's at an earlier stage of their development and I would find that network members are very willing to share their different experiences and be quite open actually and I do think that becomes quite unique because it can be a lonely place running your own business. Yeah across the board. Absolutely yeah. Just having that person to go yeah you had this awesome win today let me tell you about it or this was a shocker can I share. Yeah, Yeah correct yeah. How does that business family compare to this might be controversial to what you know of other networks so Broker Network, Was Cobra from PIB all of that stuff. I don't suppose I could really comment, you know, from an informed perspective, only I could only really talk about my own network with any real depth and knowledge. So, you know, I I would probably just reiterate that I feel really proud of the fact that when we get a group of our network members together, which we do um, annually, we have an international conference, we have other regional meetings throughout the year, and we have smaller groups of brokers. But what does stand out to newcomers who and insurers who, you know, come and join in with that is that there is a very close relationship. Now, how or if that is replicated in other networks, I I probably couldn't really speak with any knowledge about that. Is that something you've seen grow over the last seven years and that you've been instrumental in growing? Was that a a targeted plan for the network? I think it's grown over the lifetime of the network, actually, because when the network started, I mean, networks were new then. So um, 20 years ago, the network was a different and a new business model that had to find its way and you know work out how it worked and um, Willis as it was at the time rather than Willis Taz Watson were very fortunate in um, in setting up the model about 10 brokers came live in a very short space of time and so they created some very strong building blocks with those sort of founder brokers and the brokers that immediately followed and those network members became instrumental in helping build the model itself and you know make it into a network and that really has stood the test of time and people feel a really strong connection but I think in that sort of building of that model it then starts to create that strength and um, and those business ties I think that you know I can still see those there today. Which I think is amazing. Which is amazing. And you mentioned earlier 20 years 20 years last year was your 20th anniversary for yourself and for uh, for the network and obviously it's grown significantly in that time. It has, yes. What challenges do you see most of your network facing and how do you support them? So I suppose the first thing I would say is there's always challenges for businesses. Brokers are always facing challenges because the market changes all the time. The one thing brokers are really good at is they are entrepreneurial and they will evolve and they will adapt and they will thrive. 
So what challenges do we see? Well, over again, over the lifetime of the network, you know, the um, bringing in of the FSA, which is now the FCA, so the whole compliance regulatory landscape has changed beyond recognition. And, you know, we've all adapted and brought that into our businesses. The way that we engage with markets has changed considerably. The way insurers have changed in the way that, you know, the branch structures of insurers and how they engage with brokers has changed. So... The fact is we have to adapt because otherwise we've got a different challenge, haven't we? So our job, I suppose, in the network is to keep looking at the marketplace, to keep looking at what's on the regulatory landscape and to then see how we talk about it across the network, how we engage and how we think about adapting our businesses and responding. What do you think is coming? What changes do you foresee in the next Five years. Okay, so I think there's ongoing regulation and, uh, you know, obviously making sure that the uh, best propositions are going to the clients and that the client is at the centre of everything that we think about. But that's what it is like that today. But, I, you know, that's obviously not going away and, and, it, and it shouldn't do either. I think the markets and the, you know, the insurer landscape will continue to change because insurers want to obviously make sure that they are as efficient as they possibly can be. They want to focus their energies where they get the best return. And so understanding which brokers they should be dealing with and shouldn't be dealing with, I think they are going through that process and where they commit resource. Equally, brokers themselves have changed considerably over the years. And uh, with the brokers being much more aware in their own businesses of the cost of doing business and they too have to be efficient and look at their own processes and how they engage both with clients and insurers to get make sure that you know they win as 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 much as they possibly can do and so I think that sort of um, making sure that every party is adding value to each other and being very clear how they operate and why will become more enhanced. And of course, the digital world brings that to the forefront as well, because there's a lot more information available to both insurers and brokers, which should enhance the trading relationship. How do you think or has technology sort of affected your drive within the network and what you're offering? Absolutely. And um, we are I call us the Digital Broker Network, which we launched last year at our 20th anniversary conference, uh, which we held in Rome. And so what does that mean being the Digital Broker Network? Well, the world is still analogue, but it's also digital. And I think the danger is you suddenly say, I'm going to go 100%, you know, into the digital world, because the success is the is a blend of both, actually. But we very firmly put on the agenda of network members digital tools. So we have a broker app, we have a CRM system that we help network members with supply to network members. We have a client portal. We make available digital tools from Willis Towers Watson. But actually, you shouldn't then forget the good old fashioned, why not speak to somebody? You know, how do you get your message over to people? The good old tried and tested methods. And the two go hand in hand, in my opinion. CRM question for you. Yeah. So one of the challenges that businesses across industries face, I've come across, is having the CRM and using the CRM. Absolutely, yeah. What do your network feel? Do they get a lot of usage? And what do you do to 
to help them use? Because Yeah, it's a good question. I think CRM systems can be very complicated because, you know, you can build a system and it can do this and it can do this and it can do this and it can do this. And all of a sudden you think it can do so many things and now, you know, I'm finding it too difficult to use. So we've built our own CRM system. And is built- it instead of... OpenGI or Actress, or is it a dual system? It's, in, it's instead of, it's a, it's a bespoke system, but it's built by us as brokers for brokers. So it's good, it does what brokers need, but it's not going to, you know, give you excess capability that you, you know, suddenly makes it so complicated. So what then happens is um, I've got a couple of marketing business partners in my team and we will work with network members to um, roll out the system to them so we give it as part of our proposition to our network brokers and then we give training across the network members businesses and then we work with them in terms of email marketing and how they manage their prospect database and helping them put out good quality client communications through um, CRM and then working with them in terms of marketing strategies as to you know you can obviously send a communication out but of course you need to follow up on that and how do you do that and when do you do it and what's the right approach to doing that and are you targeting all of your clients with the same message are you changing the message are you working for a particular segment or a particular trade and how do you make that messaging relevant? So we can work on every single aspect of that. And around 85% of our network members are working with and using um, our CRM system in, in, in some format, planning different campaigns. And we've developed that over the, over the years with network members. I, had a, I went to a really interesting event. God, I think it's a year ago now. And it was at PwC. And they were talking oh, yeah. about they rolled out, I think it was Salesforce, across their entire global outfit okay and they did it through gamification oh okay um brings it alive to somebody yeah Yeah. i think it was i just thought it was a really i mean obviously it costs millions yeah uh resource time and effort and everything but i just thought it was quite an interesting idea in in getting the engagement absolutely yeah absolutely i think the thing with any system as i said earlier you know you can have the system you get a crm system in your business it's not going to make you win business it becomes part of your process to help you and enable you to do that but beforehand you still need to put in good quality data you still need to plan the campaign you still need to target it and work out when your campaign's going out you still need to then think what the follow-up is the system helps you in lots of different ways but if you sit back and think right i've got this system now i've solved all of my problems that is not going to work, and so it has to be brought in as part of a as part of a strategy. It's almost a switch in your mentality, isn't it? So your job is X. To do it, you need to do A, B, C. Your job is still X, but yeah. now to do it, you need to do X, Y, Z. We can help you a lot more, and, it, yeah. and it's supportive and efficient, and allows those touch points much much more readily. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, and also right. takes the human brain error out of it. Yes, it does. It does do. Yes, it does. If I if I relied solely on my human brain, um, really bad things would happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, relatively, oh, I don't know, maybe contentious but fun conversation. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I have seen something about you okay. in the press where you encourage other women in the industry to maximise their full potential and take advantage of opportunity. Oh, yes. Now, I know that we've had a conversation outside of yes. this podcast about it, and I uh, would like your views on Okay. I think I wrote that quite recently, actually, didn't I? Yes. Yeah. So, 
I feel very strongly, I suppose, that, uh, you know, we've, we, I feel very fortunate, actually, when I look back at my career, at the um, opportunity that I've had, but maybe the opportunity I've created as well, you know, and, uh, and the two go hand in hand, don't they, really? And the ability or how fortunate I am to be able to seek to maximise my own potential. So I, I feel very, very lucky. And, you know, naturally, I would want to encourage and give a helping hand to other people you know, across the industry, I feel that um, that should be to anybody, sort of no matter what, you know, creed, colour, sex, or or that sort of thing that uh, is going on. So there's much more activity now across the industry about um, inclusion and diversity, which is to be applauded. But I think a common message from everybody involved in those particular areas is nobody wants to end up feeling that they've achieved simply because they've then ticked a box for somebody else to say yeah I've got the female on the board or I've, I've promoted somebody of colour that type of thing we all want to make sure that we've done it through our merits as well and I think that does come out, out loud and clear but also through inclusion and diversity companies are working to make sure that they are um, accessible to all sorts of different groups and there's a greater awareness of um, how I suppose people through their actions could unwittingly be putting other people off uh, you know coming into our different industry so I absolutely support the fact that we should be open to a broad range of people because a company is much healthier for it but it's still got to be on the merits and the fact that it's the right person no matter who doing doing that job and um, that's that's sort of how I feel and how I've always advocated you know through my own career you don't want sort of special treatment you want to be make sure that you are getting on because you're good and you're the right person for the job. I wholeheartedly agree with what you've just said and it's made me think of something else that I was involved in a conversation recently which is about mental health in the workplace which is obviously a a really key topic at the moment on everybody's lips particularly given unfortunate recent events so the conversation on mental health is quite apparent but I was speaking to somebody recently who said there's also a balance and the balance is the card comes out too much and it's that understanding of what good pressure is, what bad pressure is, what mental health is, a mental health problem is, and, and having having those that openness to have the conversation and to look around you and say, dude, are you all right? You're not looking, you know, like you are. Is there anything I can help with? So promoting that, but at what point does it go too far? Yeah, it's a good question. Creating an open culture has has sort of got to be good, hasn't it, really? And, you know, our work-life balance has changed in that your employer maybe has got a much broader role to play because we're spending more time at work, aren't we, than there used to, you know, be a very distinct cut-off between home home life, work life, and the two are blending into each other. So it's absolutely right that an employer should have the welfare of employees at heart. But, you know, in life... There is still the rights and responsibilities the two go hand in hand, don't they? Any so your own individual accountability and um, and responsibility, I suppose, for yourself. So I think the thing then finds a level, doesn't it? But the right place is that people do feel that they can come and talk if they if they wish to do that. One of the things that I've discovered, not discovered recently, but one of the conversations, another conversation I had recently was around how difficult it can be if you're on the front line of sales Mm -hmm. so that continual rejection and it it, the process involved if I call 100 people then 50 will answer 20 will agree to meet me two will that's quite 
hard to do day in day out it is, yeah. and that actually is the work of a lot of brokers that, yes. that that sales mentality or that the numbers game is what it's all about in a lot of places what do you think about that and, and do you come across that as a, a challenge yeah. I think obviously you know within certain jobs attract certain characteristics of people don't they and, and and you know that's why we're all different because we you know we do need to cover off a wide range of roles so sales is absolutely about that you know the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows isn't it and the aim is you want more highs than you do lows I think companies probably more are working in a bit more of a team environment maybe so you know that sort of one individual out knocking on doors on their own in a very lonely place hopefully it's moved on a bit from that and that people feel uh, I would certainly say this is the case at Willis Towers Watson you're part of a team and so you've got your part of the role but actually it's a team game I think adds a lot more support to people and they don't necessarily feel that it becomes a personal thing and that maybe then got to look at your proposition or what's your messaging or what's the competition doing and you get that sort of whole team environment and, and support around you but, but also the personality of people who want to go and knock on doors because that is a daunting task is then different to people who want to do you know other, other roles as well. And so it becomes a bit of horses for courses in my mind. And I think support is key there Absolutely. for sales personnel because yep. the process-driven knocking on doors, I say knock on doors, you know, just that Absolutely. hitting yeah. your target Asking. is important. But are you knocking on enough doors? Are you knocking on the right doors? And have you got a plan in place once they're open? Yes. Are all areas that support training, advice, education around is is really key to... And I suppose, you know, again, it's if you're doing that just on your own, in your own little world, it becomes a lonely world, doesn't it? The key is to realise either I'm doing it and I seem to be doing it wrong because everybody else is winning and I'm not. How can I learn? Or equally, I'm finding it hard, but actually, do you know what? It is hard out there and other people are finding it hard as well. And so how do you tap into a broader community and sort of share your experience is, is quite important. So do you do that within your own team, within your own company, or equally, you know, as my network brokers can do in a network where you can see and understand maybe you know how other brokers are winning and uh, being successful or are they finding it just as challenging I think the network is like the concept behind a network is brilliant I feel like every industry should have it absolutely I don't know if they do I might go see if (laughs) there's there's a Boston Tallis network just for me to share my uh, ups and downs with because talking to myself or my husband doesn't always work Um, no I'm really lucky actually in that the group of network professionals that sit behind Boston Tullis Group are, you know, very experienced um, insurance individuals, each in their own niche. So I um, often bounce ideas off people. I've had this great idea. What do you think? Pipe down, Sarah. Okay. So I'm really fortunate in that. But there are the odd moments where I'd really like somebody that's doing what I'm doing to go to share that. Today was terrible, or had a great win today, and I want to. To share it with the world. So uh, another conversation, gosh, I've had a lot of conversations recently. So another conversation I had recently was about the hardening of the market. Okay. And actually a true hard market hasn't been in existence since the late 90s, early early noughties. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people... Mm -hmm. Never seen one. Have never seen one. Absolutely. Which is frightening. Opportunity and challenge, two sides of the same uh, coin. What do you think brokers should be doing who are those that haven't faced a true hard market and or whose sales team haven't 
been there and really experienced what do you think would be useful? well it's so topical this because we've just done some regional meetings uh, with with network members and with our insurer panel and uh, our key theme throughout the day was you know the hard market or the market that's hardening and is coming our way or is feeling a bit patchy or is hard in certain areas but not in others and what should we all be doing about it in that very acknowledgement that there'll be a lot of broken staff that have never lived through a hard market a lot of insurer staff never had to um, you know, put out terms in a hard market and quite frankly a lot of clients that have never experienced the premiums that you may have to pay in a hard market. So what do you do? So from our perspective in, in the network we've, we've set out a few things. How do we look at training with our network members and so we've put through our business school particular training courses like negotiation skills, broking in a hard market, Technical knowledge is very important in a, in a hard market, so we make sure we've got a good, strong programme of that in place for network brokers. Looking at broking tactics, so we share experiences from my colleagues in Willis-Towers-Watson who are practitioners in their field, so what sort of risks are we seeing as Willis-Towers-Watson that are attracting different rating increases such as food and drink, for example, what do you do to mitigate that? Are you starting your renewals early? Do you have enough information? on the client because I'm in a hard market having the right information is really important Uh, have you got surveys on file things like that so preparing early and um, working well ahead of renewal is one message that we're talking to network brokers about and then thinking about um, you know just because you've had it insured in this market for a long time doesn't mean to say that you'll be able to renew it in this market in the same way you might need to schedule capacity and are you knowing what to do on that and thinking about how you're going to present your risk to market. And equally, most importantly, how are you preparing your client? Because we've talked about, you know, is it the right thing to go out and see your client early and talk about the changing market conditions? Or do you leave it to the last minute and present your client with um, some terms which might feel unpalatable, but actually, you know, maybe they have to renew with you? We would actually always advocate the former, as in prepare your client and help them understand the changes that are coming up in the market. So this is a very, very active topic on our um, network agenda now. But the feedback we would still get from network members at the moment is that we've seen, obviously, hardening in the um, financial lines marketplace. The property casualty motor is patchy, but you know the mood music that's coming is that... Um, we will see more sustained, there are sustained rate and increases going through, but probably more coming as the market seeks to think, yep, yeah, it's time for change. What do you think about hedging your business with different lines of business? And I'm thinking particularly of Utree Insurance. So I had a, a um, podcast with Kevin and he yeah. said one of the reasons that they do underwriting and broking yeah. is to try and balance out some of those peaks and troughs. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, brokers have done that um, over the years and uh, managing your distribution. And there's no reason why you, why you shouldn't do that. I think what you've got to obviously be mindful of all the time is, have you got the right governance in place? Have you got conflict of interest strategy in place? If you're doing underwriting, who are you doing it just within your own company? In which case, you've got to be very clear why you're using your own MGA solution, let's say, over and above other insurers. So you've got to really have thought that through. Equally, if you're underwriting on behalf of other brokers and you're wholesaling in effect, 
you've got to you know you've got to have a good set of discipline around how you how you manage the underwriting the two are different skill sets I suppose is what I'm trying to say and if you're set up as a broker and you're going to go into underwriting do it properly do it properly and understand you know what you're signing up to do and operate it separately to the broking side of the business from obviously what what you guys are doing in 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 preparatory work and supportive work for brokers in, in what's coming is phenomenal what's your advice to brokers that are not currently part of a network what can they do apart from obviously join they could join a network (laughs) (laughs) got to be my number one piece of advice and I suppose I mean that in all seriousness because as you said before it's lonely being a, a an owner of a business and so some brokers think that joining a network compromises your independence but actually I would say what it does is it it enhances your independence because you're expanding your team and you're able to achieve what you want to achieve for your business more quickly in my opinion because you've got more people working with you to help you but let's say that you are independent and you don't want to join a network you know what what would I say that you should do I think you need to work out who your how you've got your business placed and who your supporting markets are and make sure you've got regular market engagement but really regular client engagement. But you've got to keep talking to the market so you understand the lay of the land and you know what's 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 coming your way. And obviously, work with your staff because it can be really frightening, I suppose, when you see premiums going up exponentially and understanding and thinking about how are you going to explain that to clients and how do you um, put that over in a way that means a client can understand why this affects them but actually that they are going to then renew with you as well i think the um fca report in the spring on dual pricing will be really interesting to see what happens and where because that'll obviously have a part to play in what's coming it will it will do but dual pricing to my mind particularly affects a sort of motor household and the fca quite rightly are concerned about that from a vulnerable customer perspective and all that sort of thing the commercial world that i operate in in the main would be a, probably a bit, a bit different in respect to those dynamics. That's very interesting. Have you got any, I don't know, top three tips for, I'll say top four tips, and the first one, join with us. Yeah. Um, top three tips for uh, small brokers with uh, growth ambition and looking for self-development. Have you got top three tips? Okay, so top three tips would be, in terms of looking for growth, you've got to then get yourself a clear sales strategy. And I think the thing with sales is it's knowing what you want to achieve and then just being persistent at doing it. Sales, you've just got to keep doing it week in, week out and have a process around it and sort of be clear what it is you're offering to clients. So think about your sales strategy, define it and just keep doing it. Think about your team. Your team and your staff are your most important asset. You know, they are the essence of your company. And so really work with your team and bring a line for them. What do you want your business to be? Tell your team where you're trying to get the business to and work with them and involve them in your plan to do that because then there's actually more of you working on that and understanding what goal you're trying to achieve. So set aside time for your team. And then think about the um, external persona of your business. So we talked in the network about this a long time ago, but you know, if you were sitting in a pub and you heard some people describing your business 
and you were listening to them, what would you want them to be saying? So, you know, highly professional or well thought of or fun business and think about what you would like someone to say and then think about how you embody that and um, make sure that your whole business is living up to those aspirations and that culture. And I think, you know, they're good key ingredients for a successful business. Absolutely. Getting your value proposition right. Absolutely. From day one. Absolutely. I think that's been really very, very helpful. Uh, (laughs) Your insight's amazing. Thank you very much. And congratulations on your 20-year... At Willis Towers Watson. At Willis Towers Watson. Yeah, very exciting. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.